Bless you, child. Good form, Jack. After all, what would the world be like without... Captain Oakum. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Real Ripe and Real Rotten. This is a podcast where we're taking a look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood artists. Each month, we're going to be using Rotten Tomatoes to determine the best and worst film in one individual's filmography. You can listen along as we try to figure out what went right and what went wrong. We're up to Steven Spielberg, the worst of Steven Spielberg. He was uh, selected by our patrons to be the next topic of discussion. And the episodes, uh, the movies that we're going to be talking about are Hook in this episode and then E.T. in a future episode. And now we're talking about 1991's Hook, which is 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. My name is Wes Teasdale. I'm here with Clay McCormick. Clay, how are you? And are you ready to talk about Hook? I am. I would like to first get this out of the way because I've been meaning to say this to you for a while, Wes. Thank you for believing. You know? <laughs> just thank you for believing in me. Do you need Do you need me to clap like the theatrical yeah. version of this? And I just yeah, stand up and clap until your light uh, glows, glows brightly, I, I suppose. I would also like to ask you and the listening audience a question. Maybe you already looked this up. If you had to guess which movie cost more to make, Hook or Jurassic Park? Which movie would you think cost more? I I think I, Hook Hook costs seventy million. Is that right? Yeah, somewhere in there. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I, it seems like a leading question, so I will say that Hook costs more to make. Hook costs more to make than Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. Even back in the day when CG would cost you ten billion dollars to render a dinosaur for a couple seconds. Yeah. yeah. And Hook Hook was two years. Hook was two years earlier, so if you adjust for inflation, Hook cost like two hundred million dollars. That's the the most surprising <laughs> thing to me is that Hook came out before Jurassic Park. I think I would have guessed that wrong. Uh, if anyone asked me that, does it make? I guess it makes sense when I think about it, but I, I feel it's the same way as I feel about Ray Liotta. It always surprises me that Field of Dreams came out first because. Fields of Dreams feels like the family-friendly follow-up you do after Goodfellas. Yeah. <laughs> and a Hook feels the same way for me after Jurassic Park. He's like, I'll just do a family-friendly hooky movie. Like, this will be this will be good. But um, Yeah, I, I would say Hook feels like... I would go down that road by saying Hook feels like the... Um, if, if, if this wasn't Steven Spielberg, let's say this was a, a lesser-known director who didn't have the pedigree that he has... Uh, and like his first or second movie was Jurassic Park, and then so he's got he can do what, literally whatever he wants. Yeah, and he chooses to do Hook, right. and just like <laughs> whiffs hard. Uh, that's what this feels like to me. So I guess this would be like coming off of the success of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He goes for Hook, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Steven Spielberg. He's an American director, producer, screenwriter. He was born in 1946. He's considered one of the founding pioneers of the new Hollywood era and is viewed as one of the most popular directors and producers in film histories. He co-founded DreamWorks Studios. Uh, Is DreamWorks connected to Disney on any level? Uh, I believe they are not. Okay. They are competitors as far as I know. All right. So we'll, we'll come back to that. Uh, he's, he's had a career spanning more than four decades. Many themes and genres of his work, sci-fi and adventure films, were his early stuff like Jaws, Close Encounters, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T. Uh, in later years, he started addressing humanistic issues like the Holocaust and the slave trade with Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, Amistad, Schindler's List, and Saving Private Ryan. Um, and then he's got other movies that kind of don't fit into anything like Jurassic Park, AI, the Artificial Intelligence, and War of the World. He's won two... Well, that, those all sound like sci-fi movies to me. <laughs> <laughs> but they all have humanistic elements, Clyde. Spielberg yeah, won well, the... 
<laughs> I was just gonna say if you want to if you want to pick out movies that don't seem to fit, I would pick like Tintin and uh, okay, sure that movie where uh, Tom Hanks is in a terminal at the airport for like three years or whatever. Yeah, uh, called the Terminal. Yeah, and yes, c- yeah. Catch Me If You Can, which I actually like. Yeah, Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, that's a good movie. He's been nominated for uh, seven of his movies have been nominated for Best Director. He's won two of them. Do you know which ones they are? Uh, oh shit! Yes, uh, Schindler's List. Uh, and Close Encounters? Nope. Schindler's List, and uh, it's not say. I know it's not Saving Private Ryan because I was. It is Saving Private there. Ryan. It is. Yep. Oh, I thought he didn't win. Yep, he won. The. Uh... Well, you know what? I don't think that won Best Picture. That's what it was. Yes, yes. This yeah, is best. I remember being. I remember being pissed off that year because that movie was fucking. Three of Spielberg's films, Jaws, E.T. and the Extra Trust, uh, E.T. and Jurassic Park, achieved box office records and came to epitomize the blockbuster film. He is the highest grossing director in movie history with over $9 billion worth of sales. Um, he had a pretty boring life. He, he, there's nothing really special about him. He grew up Jewish, uh, which is apparently a source of great discomfort for him as he was bullied. He became a student. He became an intern while he was in college. And then they basically, I guess this is just the era where Hollywood give, would give film deals to interns, which is interesting. Mm. Uh, he got a film deal and he started directing TV movies. And then he moved on to his first feature, which was Sugarland Express in 1974. Uh, not really a big hit or anything, and then '75 came out, and Jaws propelled him into starhood. Uh, after- well, the 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 legend of of how he got started is that he just put his name on a on an office. Basically, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the Michael J. Fox movie, The Secret of My Success, where he's working in the mailroom at this big company, and then this guy gets fired, so he just moves into the office. Sure. And people just start treating him like he works there. Yeah, they just that's assume he's important with his office and everything, yeah. Yeah, that's apparently the legend of how Spielberg got started in the movie business, that he just moved into an office and started, like, receiving scripts. Yeah, you, this is a pre-Facebook era, obviously. You can, yeah. you, you can just you can just set up camp in an office building and uh, do the basically the Costanza move of the Penske file, where he, he just says he wor- he just shows up as if he's yeah. working and everyone assumes that he's yeah, there. Yeah, pretty much. 77, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. 81, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. E.T. came out in 82. He's got a ton of movies, people. Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, Hook, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Amistad, Saving Private Line, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, Terminal, War of the Worlds, Munich. And his recent one that's going to be coming out is, as a director, Ready Player One, which everyone seems to be very excited about. So Really? People are excited? Well, know, let's talk about Spielberg and Hook. I think that Hook is... I think, I'm glad we're talking about the bad movie first before we get mm-hmm. to E.T. Because to me, the, the takeaway I had from watching Hook and Spielberg is that I never really realized it, but Spielberg to me inspires a kind of... This movie epitomizes the way I feel about Spielberg on some level, which is mm-hmm. when I asked about DreamWorks being a part of Disney... I would describe Spielberg as a very Disney director. Um, and okay. I, was looking I, at, that. I was looking at criticism of him. And a lot of criticism is that his films are overly melodramatic, sentimental, and they don't really have anything to say at the heart of them that's unique or indiv- like uh, special or sort of like cuts to a way of thinking that you've never really thought before. He's definitely a good director. He's very versatile and competent. But when I when I think of his movies on some level, I think of being younger and all of his movies were movies that I didn't really get blown away by. And maybe I watched them too much and they kind of I kind of grew to not maybe resent them on some level. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want to watch them anymore. 
And I, I feel that it's very hard to talk about that as a general sense because he's had such a variety of a career going here. Like everything is different. So I'm probably wrong with it, but that's my feeling about when I hear Spielberg, that's the kind of movie that pops into my head or that's the feeling that I go for. And I would describe right. it as whimsical on some level. Mm-hmm. And I don't really like whimsical movies. I don't like that tone. And Hook fell squarely into that kind of whimsical tone. And it's not just that. I think Hook is a very bad movie. But <laughs> um, And our friend Dave is going to be upset because I tweeted I don't like Hook and he told me to delete my tweet. So I, I, think, <laughs> I think that Dave likes Hook. I'd be shocked to know why he likes Hook. and. What did you think about Hook, or where do you want to go from here? Well, jumping off what you said about Spielberg, I totally understand what you're talking about, and I think I, for a while, felt the same way, um, because, I mean, the reason that you feel that way when you when you think about Spielberg is because that is the through line through most of his movies, is there is that sort of, like, wide-eyed wonder present. But the thing about him is he's not limited to that, that's the that's the that's the style point that he's most well known for. But for me, anyway, when I started actually watching these movies, I think for a while I kind of avoided some of his bigger ones just because of that. Because it's like, oh, Spielberg, everybody loves him. But it all, in my head, I picture E.T. and I don't like E.T., so I'm not going to watch it. Then you then you sit down and you watch Jaws. Then you sit down and you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. Then you sit down and you watch Schindler's List or Jurassic Park. Or this guy's fucking good. Yep, and uh, and he makes these these movies that yeah they have this element to it, but they are not explicitly about that or limited to that one uh, one emotional uh, expression. And I think that with Hook, I don't know if I would, I don't know. Hook's Hook's a tough one for me because I like a lot of stuff about it, but I think it's it doesn't come together, and so. The way I would th- I would talk about Hook is I I don't disagree with you in that this movie is like uh, representative of of the of of the part of Spielberg that you don't like because it is a hundred percent. Um. So uh, on the movie Legend, right, uh, the Ridley Scott movie Legend, uh, on the DVD for for Legend, they go into uh, behind the scenes stuff and they're talking to one of the guys who was working on the on the on the on the movie on the script. And he was talking about working with Ridley Scott, and it was he was like, "Yeah, it's really, really interesting because you sit in there, you're in a room with him, and he just starts like you, you, you put something on the table, and he just starts going with it. He just starts throwing ideas at you, and he's like, oh, yeah, Tom Cruise's character, he, you know, he, well, what if he lives in the woods? Oh, what if he's like, <laughs> he's like not a fairy, but he's like fairy adjacent? Oh, what if he's like a lizard boy? What if he's got like scales and stuff? And you have to be there to check that imagination and rein it in." Um, and I feel like sometimes when they, when these, when these big, uh, um, wildly enthusiastic and imaginative people don't have someone to check them, then it just, it get it goes off the rails. And for Ridley Scott, just look at Prometheus. I love Prometheus for a lot of reasons, but I will not argue with anybody that that movie isn't just, doesn't just, it's like Ridley Scott just spraying the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with Ridley Scottness. And I think Hook is the Steven Spielberg version of that where it's so sappy and it's so melancholy um melodramatic melodramatic. and it's like it's so like the big through line through all of his movies is like father issues and people with daddy issues or dads who are trying to get back to their kids and this is like the ultimate expression of that where it's like 
not only is there kids with daddy issues, but there's the father in question who then becomes a superhero and all of the kids are like, I wish I had a dad. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's like, it's all of the, <laughs> it's all of this stuff circling, circling uh, uh, the Spielberg universe, all just hitting you hard at the same time. Yeah. That being said, I think there's a lot of stuff in it that's a lot of fun. I think Dustin Hoffman as Hook is one of the best screen villains I've seen ever. Like he's fantastic. He chews every piece of scenery he gets. Yep. And man, I'll I miss Bob Hoskins. I know I know Robin Williams is also dead and I miss Robin Williams, but man, Bob Hoskins was the fucking best. He was great. I think and, that well, Hoffman and Hoskins, in my opinion, play off each other very well. This oh yeah, they're thing. great. Um but at the same time, this movie feels like uh, I, you know, I was watching it with my girlfriend. My girlfriend loves this movie, uh, and uh, even she was kind of like walking it back a little bit. Not that she doesn't like it, but she was <laughs> right. like, "Okay, I can see why maybe this is a little bit, you know, uh, maybe not it as didn't. Popular. Maybe it didn't need to be seven and a half hours long. Maybe that. Was yeah, that too. It's so long. I said that to her. We had to stop because we had to go to my parents' house for dinner. And she was like, "Well, is there any way we can finish it before I go?" And I was like, "No, there's like another hour and a half left." And she was like, "What?" <laughs> Um, and it's, it's like, I, I said to her, uh, this is like in the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves type era where even though it's all supposed to take place outside, everything looks like a set. Yep. And it's, it's, it feels very, uh, it almost feels like a stage show. I, I read one review of it that, that likened it to the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney. Yeah. And that's yeah. a really good reference to use because all of that stuff feels so choreographed that it, it does it feels like an amusement park ride and maybe that was the intention yeah one but of, um well i was just gonna say i was just gonna say and so much of that stuff it it just it doesn't have any there's no feeling to it like it there's they're throwing so much stuff at you it's like isn't this awesome look at these costumes look there's skateboards and basketballs and people like going down tracks and people doing like chore uh choreographed backflips it's just like it, you, there's no there's no connection to it for me. I mean, yeah, as a kid, yeah. kids, I mean, I remember really liking this movie as a kid, so maybe I'm wrong and I don't know. But uh, but watching it now, it's like there's a lot of stuff in it, but very little of it actually sticks, at least once you get to Neverland. I think I think the stuff before they get to Neverland is is pretty good. Okay. I wouldn't say it's great, but I feel like they lay it on pretty thick because if you aren't on board with the uh peter and his kids relationship this movie is basically unwatchable i think yeah yeah and I, I i think there's a lot to talk there about before we before we go into like the the starting uh issue with or the like the opening scenes and everything that go through it i think that there was a review that said uh this basically seems like a movie where spielberg was more impressed by the set design than anything yeah. and was like maybe yeah. i'll just shoot all the sets uh that is a definite opinion it's not shocking that it's so expensive because of how practical everything is here and how much they built for all of this stuff mm -hmm. i i think that the to me it, see it's weird that kids i i remember not liking this movie as i was younger i don't know if i've ever actually watched it all the way through and I, i'm sort of i was left conflicted as to who this movie is supposed to be for because yeah it's not for if you're an adult watching it, it's not incisive or interesting enough to hold your attention. Like there's nothing, there's no themes here that are really like, oh, that's a unique way that they're taking Peter Pan or something like that. Like it's very close to the original material. Mm -hmm. If you're a kid, besides the fact that it's almost three hours long, it's pretty slow for what's going yeah. on. Unless you're unless you're very distracted by the sort of costumes and the set design and everything, not a lot happens. I think that 
the last half hour, 40 minutes is actually a pretty, a, a, a pretty solid. The last 40 minutes are what the movie was trying to be the entire time, where, where he yeah. realizes that he's Peter Pan and he sort of has this fun swashbuckling adventure fighting. And you're like, OK, this is enjoyable to watch. The hour and a half leading up to that is so boring and so slow. It's so tedious, in my opinion, that I don't know who the movie is actually made for. And it's interesting that it's had such a, a, a like a different reaction, depending on who we, we've asked to, to have watched it or whatever. Yeah, it, I mean, if you if you take a step back and like kind of look at what's going on. It, I, it's kind of made for for Steven Spielberg, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Like, cause, it, cause it's not, it's not really made for kids, in the sense that, the hero of the movie is is the dad, and like the theme of the movie is, be not love your parents, and yep. you should your parents should love their kid. Like it's, it's not like I, I remember when when I watched it as a kid, the thing I uh, gravitated towards more than anything else was the Lost Boys, which makes sense. Uh, cause you know, those are the cool guys and you want to be friends with Rufio and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the stuff with, with Peter Pan himself never really clicked with me that much. Like I was, I was always team Rufio a hundred percent. Um, and it's because like, you know, he's a, he's an, he's an adult and the, when the driving force of your kid's movie is adults can still be cool and, uh, you should believe in your parents or, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird yeah, who are you? Who's this movie really for? Uh, is it? Is it? Because if you're a parent watching this, does it turn into like this weird parent ferret fantasy? No, where <laughs> are, where you're like, it's not like it's not like Taken, where that where it's this dad fantasy where you're this badass who can who's going to kill anybody in yep. the way to kill to to get their kid back. It's still the first half of it is you're a shitty dad. Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm not really sure who it's for. The, the Spielberg thing is funny. Apparently, this was in development with a director attached named Nick Castle, who had been working on the script for a very, very long time. Spielberg. Who I would put, jump in and say Nick Castle, longtime uh, collaborator with John Carpenter. He wrote uh, Escape from New York, and he is also the person in the Michael Myers suit in the first Halloween movie. Oh, okay. Interesting. And so he's he was attached to this. He had worked on the script for a long time. Spielberg announced that he was interested, and so the production company had to buy out Castle. Um, yeah. And so they paid him to go away, basically. Uh, probably paid out to be a financially wise decision for him. And then yeah. Spielberg came in, and Spielberg, in recent interviews, said... Uh, in 2011, he told Entertainment Weekly, there are parts of Hook I love. I'm really proud of my work right up through Peter being hauled off in the parachute out of the window headed for Neverland. I'm a little less proud of the level Neverland sequences because I'm uncomfortable with the highly stylized world that today I would probably would have done with live action character work inside a digital set. But we didn't have the technology to do it then. Imagination only went as far as building physical sets and trying to paint trees blue and red. In 2013... He said more bluntly, I want to see Hook again because I so don't like that movie, and I'm hoping someday I'll see it again and perhaps maybe like some of it. So Well, I the the not to jump way far ahead, but uh uh there's another uh interview where he talks about how he didn't watch it for a long time and he never liked it, but he started to come around after Robin Williams died because they became really good friends and you know, like after he died he watched it and he just was crying the whole time. Yeah. And my girlfriend and I both, at the end, the last thing Robin Williams says in that movie is basically, don't kill yourself. Yes. And it's like, we both were like, oh. 
You know, yep. it, the, he looks like right at the camera and it's like the great, the greatest adventure is living life. And we're yes. just like, oh boy, that's, that's rough. Yeah. It hasn't, that hasn't aged particularly well for him, unfortunately. Would you, um, would you think of Robin Williams? I thought this movie was basically two and a half hours of him pratfalling, uh, endlessly. And yeah, you know, before I kick it back to you, the original idea here was that they wanted to have the Spielberg's original thing was he wanted to have this be a musical starring michael jackson and (laughs) remember what i said a minute ago about creative people not being checked in their michael jackson actually actually turned it down because he didn't like the idea of an older peter pan and this yeah because he had some uh sense (laughs) (laughs) this movie to me it basically when I when I read that, I was like, you know what? This movie basically felt like a musical where they stripped the songs out of because there yeah, were so yep. many scenes where you could just see them singing a song and you'd be like, okay, this makes sense. And instead of that, it's just a very slow, methodical. Honestly, there's there's like forty five minutes of plot in this movie. There's really mm-hmm. not a lot going on. There's no great change. It follows beat. It follows the standard beat you would expect for this kind of movie to follow. It follows it beat by beat all the way to the end. And then that's it. And it stretches it on for two and a half hours. And it's it's crazy to me. Yeah. I um The musical thing is is a really is a really good catch because yeah, I've I, once you said that, I was like, Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Because there's so much like choreographed movement and camera movement and stuff that feels like it would be in a musical, but there's no songs. Yeah. And yeah, that's a really good way to describe it. And when it was coming towards the end, um, leading up into the, uh, right as they start their final fight and everything, and Peter's got all of his powers back and all that kind of stuff, I was thinking, man, what has he really done here? Like, there's no, he doesn't really have to do anything in order to get his powers back. Like, there's no trial or or thing he has to just overcome, achieve yeah. there's no or conflict. overcome. Yeah, all he does is just remember stuff. He looks and at the thimble or whatever. He goes into that old, the Tinkerbell shows him that old like place where they used to hang out. And he's like, oh my God, the memories. And then he can fly again. Yeah, and it's it's not really compelling visually, you know? No. <laughs> or like from a story point, it's like it, just having him remember stuff. And then he's like, oh yeah, I love my kids. And I, I think, you know, I was... An aspect of the movie that I I never picked up before that I think if they had leaned into it more might have made things made this stuff work a little bit better was this idea that the longer you spend in Neverland the more you forget about stuff. Yes, it's a, it's a weird theme. Go ahead. Yeah, and it's like it it makes sense to an extent, but I don't think they really lean into it enough for it to really be hinge the plot on it the way that they do because even at the end they've got. His son not really understanding who he is, and then remembering who he is, and then afterwards he's like, "Oh yeah, I have a kid." Like it's, they, yep. they don't, it's not really it's not really central to the the, the characters and how they change mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah, um, or at least I guess technically it is, but they don't really bring it to the forefront of the story. Yeah, it doesn't feel it's it ties into my if you're an adult watching this, the the exploration of that idea is not interesting. There's no yeah yeah exactly you're not like oh this is kind of riveting to watch as the kids are watching the colorful explosions and people shooting guns that shoot chicken eggs and stuff like you're I'm sitting there just going like this is very trite and mm-hmm. like the it's it's the the plot is just servicing 
there's no question about what he's going to do here. Like Peter Pan's going to rescue his kids. I have a questionable understanding of them, their relationship as father and children in the first place, because he, yeah. I actually think Robin Williams is miscast in this movie. Um, I think he is too. Yeah. I was thinking that as I was watching, it, I was like, there's just something not right about this. Mostly because he doesn't strike me as the right kind of businessman at the start of the movie. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like he seems for whatever whatever vague company he seems to work for. Yeah, in, the, in this weird, it's the it's the it's a company that no one who's ever worked in a company would have. Like he thinks people are having like cell phone draws. You know, like the gun fights with the cell phones. I said to my girlfriend, I I guarantee you a hundred percent that's something that they were doing off screen, like in between <laughs> takes, and they just sort of just like do that, do that in the movie. You guys should do that in the movie. I guarantee you. I read recently that they're now using lawyers instead of rats for scientific experiments. <laughs> they do this for two reasons. One, the scientists become less attached to the lawyers. <laughs> and two, there's certain things that even rats won't do. He doesn't, he just, he doesn't come across as the kind of, he, he seems like he's a businessman on the, on the break constantly and i i feel like he should be better at his job than he is what is his job mergers, at mergers one point, and assassinations as they say in um uh, american psycho but yeah he's apparently done he wheels and deals with mergers and acquisitions but is he is he a lawyer at one point he mentions that he's a lawyer i think he is a lawyer yeah he mentions that he spent the 60s as an accountant that's so <laughs> like what is i i could never not that it matters but i just i could never and he just like they they they, he keeps c talking about his business deal the way that commercials talk about the Super Bowl when they can't say the Super Bowl, so they yeah. just keep saying the big game. Yeah, yep. it's like that. He keeps talking about the big deal and all you know, all this very vague business terminology that was written by uh, whoever wrote a good year. Yeah, well, and I mean, <laughs> as he's having his stressful, the the one thing I, you know, it's a, it's a very whimsical kind of movie, but there's the one scene before he goes to Neverland. He's sit, he, they're visiting Wendy, Grandma Wendy, and he's sitting in their bedroom talking on the cell phone as he's trying to hammer this deal close. Yeah. And the kids are like hanging on him and stuff, and his wife isn't doing anything. And I was just like, this guy's on an important phone call. Look, get, get this goddamn, get the goddamn kids out of there. Like, why, why are they yeah, allowing you're him? You're watching this movie as a father with a job, Wes. <laughs> this is a very interesting point of view that I don't know if anyone's ever really tapped into. You should expand on that. No, it's it's like... I I would I would, if that was me I would hang up that phone call and immediately get in an argument with Amy about being like why why were the kids like climbing on me as this is like I'm trying to close yeah. this goddamn deal and and I think that just ties into the I don't really buy his business persona I think once he becomes Peter Pan it's a perfect Robin Williams role uh, but until I, you then, know I don't know because like I I don't know I I just still feel like he's I think there's a disconnect for me. Because the essential, the essential concept of Peter Pan is that he's a kid. So seeing a, a full-grown man <laughs> dressed like Peter Pan fighting with a bunch of kids, it's just really, it's a very strange disconnect for me. Like, I could never Murdering quite people. get over it. Well, well, that's another thing. Um, there... They, I have a problem with the fight scene at the end because it's like, again, who is this movie for? Because there's this big uh, uh, Lost Boys versus Kids fight scene, but the Lost Boys, all of the violence is very uh, non-lethal until fucking Rufio gets killed. Yeah. 
Like, they're throwing eggs at people and, like, hitting them in the head with balls, knocking them into the water, until their leader gets run through the chest with a sword. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a very, it's, again, it's a, it's a tone thing that isn't totally resolved. Was, was um, Peter Pan not stabbing people before then? I, I, I don't I, think so. I, I don't think he does. I thought it was catching my opinion. Maybe he just, he's kind of slapping him around with stuff, but I... I feel like he's doing a lot of slashing across the chest of people. No, with his sword. I don't think he does. He does okay. a lot of like sword fighting and like knocking things, people into things. Yeah. Rufio, Rufio kills a couple guys. Okay. But okay. Peter Pan, I don't think ever does. Um, yeah. I, I was, I was, I was shocked by that there was any murder in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> because that's a, that, and it also, it doesn't, you know, it, it's not about Peter Pan coming to terms with anything. Like, he doesn't do the, like, I'm a bigger man than you, Hook, at the very end. Hook dies. He doesn't kill him directly. Or does he? Like, even as a kid, I was, I, when Hook, the the crocodile falls on Hook, and then Hook just, like, disappears. Yep. I just, I even as a kid, I was like, that ah, doesn't make a ton of sense. Well, it, it reminds me of um the one thing you, you had talked about, a theme that you hadn't noticed. I had never made the connection that the the clock that Hook is terrified of signifies the ticking away of life, of time. I had never made that thematic connection before. Oh, I guess I never really thought about that either. Yeah, that's that's something I that guess I, it I makes, realized. That makes sense as a, uh, something, yeah. Cut your hand off, you're scared of the crocodile, crocodile's gonna eat you, ticking, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's a very, um, they didn't really lean into it, but I was just kind of, I was kind of surprised by it. I, I do like the... I, I I was unsure if the crocodile at the end here is actually a statue of a crocodile, crocodile or if it right. is a crocodile. I think it was. I assume it's supposed to be like the or the alligator the tax, taxidermied version of the one that bit his hand off. Oh, <laughs> that's what I that's what I assumed. Okay, I guess that that makes sense. Um, the uh, I, you know, going back to what I was saying um, <clears throat> about him not actually really doing anything to accomplish the goals. Yeah. I was as I was watching the end, I was thinking, man, wouldn't this be kind of more riveting if he doesn't get his powers back? Yeah. Like, I, I guess it's not, you know, you I guess you want to see Peter Pan. I guess this is a strange movie because it's like they're playing on a lot of stuff that you would see in like, think about this movie uh, as, um, like Superman or Batman or something, right? Where the way that they're presenting all of this imagery to us in this movie is 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 as though we are connected to the imagery to a point where we cannot wait for him to become Peter Pan. And I don't ever get that in this movie because I don't, I, I guess maybe because I'm not connected to the story that much, but it's like, if this was Superman, it would be, you know, Clark Kent walking into the Fortress of Solitude and like, oh, there's the suit, there's the cape. Yeah. There's the there's, you know, Marlon Brando on the screen. It's like Superman Returns kind of. Like, you know, you you keep waiting for him to show up and then when he shows up it's this like, you know, uh amazing moment and everybody's cheering and all that kind of stuff, but it's like Peter Pan just doesn't really it's have that for me. And it's also like if if Superman when he showed up was like a werewolf. Right. <laughs> you know? Um so but I was thinking I was thinking like doesn't doesn't this feel like it would work a little bit better if he gets his powers aren't coming back, but he still has to save his kids. So then he has to figure out how the hell am I going to fight these guys just being, you know, Peter Banning or whatever yeah. his name is. Yep. And then it, during that final fight is when everything kicks in. Like at the point that it needs to, it's like, you know, he Hook's got him pinned down or something. And then all of a sudden, you know, 
something clicks and he's like, oh, yeah, I can fly. And like then he turns, you know what I mean? Yeah. So well, it's like there's always that doubt of whether or not he's going to uh, achieve the goal because he doesn't have any of these powers that everybody wants him to have. And I think that's one of the reasons why they end up killing Rufio is because there's no there's no dramatic push to a certain point once the fu- once he gets his powers back because it's like yeah. well you know he's just gonna just gonna fight Captain Hook and Captain Hook's gonna lose yeah well I, I think that the 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 central conceit is kind of tough because he has his powers by thinking about happy thoughts right yeah so bad things happening to him should be like Superman's kryptonite. Right, like it's, he, like re- it's like reverse Incredible Hulk. Right, he's just like the more bad stuff happens to him, the tougher time he has conjuring happy thoughts, and he loses his powers. But I know that they were to tie into what you were talking about. I know that they're trying to say one of the themes here is that even though you grow up and become an adult, you can still be a kid at heart. Is what the right. Peter Pan story or this Peter Pan story is supposed to be saying? I was thinking as you were talking about that, why not pass the banner of Peter Pan to his son? Yes, I was thinking that too. Yes. Yeah, like if he realizes that he is older and he can never go back, like his sacrifice to go and have a family has caused him to lose these powers forever. But his son, and he gets kidnapped and his son gets away. And then his son finds the old clothing that would fit him, right? Like he is the appropriate age to be rescuing his father and he does. And that's the passing of the torch. Yes. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I felt it was built for that. And instead we just get... Um, old Robin Williams, who probably wasn't even that old at the time this movie was made, but looks old, and it's it's just a very, a very, just awkward interaction between all of that, and the Lost Boys, and everything like that. I just I feel like there was a, there's so much theme crying out here, and to be totally themeless is interesting. That that's the way that they chose to go with it. Yeah, and uh, you know, kind of going back to it, just being weird seeing an an adult man playing Peter Pan. It's like the, the fight between Peter Pan and Captain Hook then turns into Captain Hook just fighting another adult. Yes. Right. And it it just, it like, it takes away all of the, the oomph of what that story is supposed to be. I I feel like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. Yeah. It's, why is it called, it's a weird, why is it called Hook? Would a, would a better name be Peter for this movie? (laughs) No, no, (laughs) <laughs> it's like I uh, I read a, an interview or, or heard an interview with uh, um, uh, Billy Friedkin, the director of The uh, Exorcist, and uh, he was talking about uh, French Connection. And when they were when they were getting the the marketing together, uh, they had you know made up these mock-ups of posters that said the French Connection. And the exec one of the executives was like, "Oh, that's a terrible title. No one's going to want to see that." Sure. What if we call it Popeye, <laughs> or 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 what if we call it what if we call it Doyle? And he's yeah. like, no, what's, no, who's going to go see a movie called Doyle? And I feel like who's going to see a movie called Peter? So if, of those two characters, I guess Hook is the way to go. Well, we'd put, we'd put a little bit more money into the advertising budget. It would make up for the fact that the title is no good. But um, <laughs> Robin the, Williams, Robin Williams starring in Peter. On a, on a thematic level, it's about Peter. You know, it's about, yes, it's yes, about yeah. no longer being Pan. And Hook to me... Hook to me reminds me a lot of uh, Tom Hardy as Bane in The Dark Knight, where like the character is cool, but there's yeah. not a lot going on behind that. Like the performance is great, but there's not a lot to the actual character as written. And right. calling the film Hook is a much better title, and it certainly hooks the audience and everything like that. But I, I feel like Hoffman's performance is stronger than what the Captain Hook's whole thing is in here. Like I don't really understand why 
he wants Peter Pan to return all that much. I guess he wants vengeance or something, but he seems to have a pretty good thing going without Peter Pan and Never Neverland. Yeah, it's kind of unclear because I mean, I assume I I believe it's it's this sort of like uh, I need I need my greatest foe to come back and challenge me or something like that. But it's not like he's killed all the other lost boys, right? It's not like he's out of stuff to do, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and they when they they're in like the pilot uh, the pirate village or whatever, it seems like he's got you know he's got a lot of food. He's kind of he's got this whole crew that obeys his every command and everything, and. They don't even play up the fact that he's all that conniving because it's really him and Smee together that equal a kind of good villain. You know, like Smee, right. Smee provides the intellectual uh, workhorseness of the plan and everything, and Hook just kind of goes along with him at that point. Yeah, yeah, and he's not, I mean, comparatively, he's not really in it that much either. No, no, he's not. He's got, like, only three more scenes than David Crosby does. Right, <laughs> and Phil Collins. Yeah. <laughs> and fucking Jimmy Buffett's in this movie as well. Yep, Jimmy. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people. Um, and Glenn Close. What what uh, what's the? Let's do a couple of questions here to yeah. sort of go all crazy with things. Worst performance in this movie. Worst performance uh, in a movie full of kids um, is probably one of the kids. Uh, no, uh, main character worst performance. Yeah, mine. Mine. I feel. I Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell was terrible. I thought. She, yeah, she's just kind of doing the Julia Roberts thing, isn't she? I mean, I guess it's tough because. Uh, and they voice corrected was, her to like high pitch her voice. Yeah, and stuff, I and. think judging by the trivia, she was in a bit of a weird spot, I think, when they made this movie. Yeah, they were calling her um, Tinker Hell, I guess. She was being very difficult on sets and it like shattered her and Spielberg's relationship, whatever. Yeah. Whatever they were going on back here. I don't know why he, I, I can't even see the source of conflict between them. Well, I guess um, it was in part due to uh, the fact that she was basically isolated and just doing all of her stuff by her, on her own in front yeah. of like a green screen. Green screens, yeah. Uh, and also in her, her personal life at the time was, was not uh, on the level so much. It, this was when she uh, abandoned her wedding with uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, okay. She, uh, yeah, she was going through some stuff, I think. Okay. So you would disagree? You thought the performance was okay? You think there's a worse no, one? No, no. Okay. I think if I had to pick one, I would say probably her, because yeah, she's just doing. You know, a lot of these actors have stuff that, you know, they can still do their thing even if they're phoning it in. And I think she's kind of covers that where she's doing the Julia Roberts thing, but it's not really, not really anything to write home about. What uh, what aspect of the movie do you think is aged the best, and what do you think is aged the worst? Um, for me, I, I think. <laughs> I was just gonna say the skateboarding the skateboarding kids probably <laughs> has has aged the worst go ahead oh i think that the the best thing for me is that spielberg has a couple moments here where pan regains his powers and then the fight final fight scene he can he's very good at getting that sort of saccharine emotion out of mm -hmm. it that you need in a family movie and when he when pan becomes uh, realizes his true powers again. I I was genuinely like, oh, like this is kind of a touching little moment. It's not it's not built well, but he gets he gets stuff out of the scene even though it's not really built up to be anything. And I feel that the Spielberg emotionality of those scenes still works today. Um, on like that kind of a if I'm expecting that from this kind of movie, that is what I got, and I uh, think it worked out pretty well. Yeah, I would say about like. I would say 60-40, that stuff works, because there's so much of it. Like, there's so much of it in this movie uh, that I think 
I think the stuff that works the best for me is actually the stuff from from his kids. I think the kid that plays his son is great. Yeah. And uh really sells a lot of that stuff. Um Robin Williams is okay at it, I think. I think uh Yeah, I don't know. Uh, him remembering that he loves his kids is I guess is fine. <laughs> but I yes. again, I'm more interested I'm more interested in the kids. I thought the kids uh, his son emoted way better than anybody else in the movie. That kid was a good actor. I don't know why he stopped acting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's for, for stuff that I think has aged the best. Um I was actually surprised how good the flying effects were. Yeah. Some the spots. wire work like, is good. Yeah. Yeah. Um stuff that I and I think I think Dustin Hoffman his performance is great. I I think I don't think there's really any age on that. Almost uh, unrecognizable as yes. Dustin Hoffman. If you didn't, yes. if he doesn't talk like him. He doesn't sound like him. He doesn't really look like him. I, f- I feel like the talking is the hardest aspect to cover up. Um, yeah. Uh, I, think that, I think that the thing that's aged the worst for me is the Robin Williams style of comedy. Like the mm-hmm. light, very light comedy that he does here. Um, it would work better in a musical, I think, where like yeah. where people getting splattered with tomatoes can be like the punchlines of songs and stuff like uh, right, right. i feel like that would work better here here it's a lot of him falling getting blown off of things like being like oh as he's flying because of pixie dust and stuff like that like it just doesn't it doesn't do it for me maybe it well, does it for younger kids it's it, you know i think he's kind of miscast because this doesn't re- this isn't really his style of comedy like this isn't what he does really well yeah, yeah. i mean he's a, he's a talker you know he's 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 gonna he's an improviser he did, you can tell when he's doing that stuff in here, and it feels out of character when he does you, it. You know what because... felt like a oh, sorry, but you know what felt like an ad lib on onto that the when he is giving the toast at the beginning at his uh, his dinner function, and yeah. he tells the joke about lawyers and rats. That felt yeah. like a Robin Williams improv bit. Um, yeah, you can al- you can always tell what they are because they usually include a reference that does not make any sense in the context of that <laughs> movie. Like he'll, he's, he'll despite the fact I'm an accountant. Like, yeah, like he'll be in Neverland and make a joke about like Mikhail Gorbachev or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 I don't disagree. But, but yeah, like because I mean, the, he's he spends so little time as Peter Pan that you don't you don't get the Robin Williams stuff out of him. Like you, you cast Robin Williams to play a character who's supposed to be uptight and stuffy for two hours. Yeah, yeah, and that's just not, and that, that's not what he is. And so when he when he does give his little flourishes, it feels out of character. And then when he does become Peter Pan, he should have more room to do stuff. Like I, the other way I would I would take I could have taken this movie is what if he gets his powers back like way earlier, and yes. yep. then he just starts forgetting about his kids, and so he you get more time for him to be Robin Williams, do some fun stuff. I don't know what the story w- would be in well, there the, in that the, section, but yeah, the story there would be right if you're reverting to childhood, the innate selfishness of children, right? right. And he, yeah, he, there you go. He, yeah, he 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 has to fight against becoming because the Lost Boys are basically you know they're orphans, so it's hard to talk about, but they're basically like being selfish in this regard that they don't care about their families and stuff like that. They're orphan, but Peter Pan doesn't care about his family going forward, and you'd have to reverse it. And there are some things that he is happy about getting older. Uh, which they kind of talk about at the end of the movie because, you know, surprisingly, he digs up the phone and takes the phone call from Brad at the very yeah. end. Yes. Uh, who, and Brad has been on hold. He makes a joke about it. I think it seems like another ad lib where he's like, I can't believe he stayed on hold for that long. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And but, I, but I think yeah, they can just play that up. 
yeah, it's that kind of thing where it's where it's like he doesn't in in the course of the movie he's 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 really stuffy and adult and doesn't want to be be fun and then he like <clears throat> he turns into Peter Pan at the end and then that's just it he's just fine after that point like yeah. there's no there's no push and pull about those two two sides of him by the end of the movie it's just like no he's also Peter Pan and uh yeah now he's just a great dad right you know yes. so it yep. would be it would be interesting to see yeah, if they had played with that more and and have him if he had become Peter Pan earlier or even later. So I think I think maybe j- yeah, just for me the 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 actual turning into Peter Pan being so consequence free is what's bothering me, I think about the story. Yeah. Yeah, I I I don't think I realized that when I was watching it, but I think that that's that's my you know, adult brain concern with the the thing is why I'm not buying into it. As a kid, I could maybe see the colors and stuff. I think it's still way too long to get invested in and things like that. But An- another po- another point where uh, where I feel like you can see that this movie isn't going to quite work, at least for me, is when I was watching the beginning of it and watching the stuff where they're you know when he's in England doing all that kind of stuff, and that stuff was fine. I like I was saying, I feel like they had to lay that on pretty thick in order to get you invested at all. Otherwise, the rest of it's going to kind of be unwatchable. Um, as they were, after the kids get kidnapped, I couldn't remember how he gets to Neverland. And I was sitting there and I said to my girlfriend, how the hell are they going to get him to Neverland? Like, th- I was trying to think, like, story-wise, how do you get this character to Neverland? Yep. And when the way that they chose, I was like, yeah, that's real clunky. This doesn't feel good at all. Just Tinkerbell, but, right? Is yeah, that what Tinkerbell mean? showing up and like knocking him out and wrapping him in a blanket and <laughs> flying away. I was like, eh, this doesn't feel like the smoothest transition you could have had to get him there. But yep. again, like that's one of those things where it's like I like s- the story didn't dictate a, w- a good way to get him there. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And so that was kind of indicative of me like, eh, OK, this is going to feel pretty forced for the rest of the thing, I think. And also, you know, Tinkerbell's power level totally undefined, Clay. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Why doesn't she fight everybody? Why doesn't she fight Captain Hook? Because she can stop like uh, him swinging swords by catching it like between her palms, like a ninja and is movie. Her, is her power like proportional? Like when she turns into like big Tinkerbell, can she like punch through walls and stuff? I would. <laughs> it's the uh, yeah the apocalypse move of just holding Hook down as she gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that scene, that scene where she turns into big Tinkerbell and like they make what the fuck was that? That's another scene that always never really made sense to me. Is feels inappropriate, right? It does. Yeah. yeah, it feels like they just needed to have a scene where Julia Roberts acts with somebody else or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and she and her, yeah, kissing the just the relationship feels unseemly between Peter Pan and Tinkerbell for it to go there, and then at the end she's like, "I'll always love you, Peter Pan. I'll never forget about you." And it's like, well, I, this isn't the my opinion of Tinkerbell was always sort of the guardian spirit, like the helper spirit yeah. that flies around. But I, I didn't get this really sort of lonely, uh, relationshipless uh, Julia Roberts role, which I thought was a bizarre choice. If I remember correctly, I believe there is a scene very similar to that in Legend, where okay. uh, there's a fairy-type character who's in love with Tom Cruise, and she turns into, like, a human-sized... I, I, I might be blending these two movies together, I can't remember, but I think there's a scene similar to that where he's like, yeah, you're not really my type, and she just she just gets pissed off and turn, and like just flies. So it was, at least had a little bit more 
oomph to it than just her showing up in an evening gown. And then she's like, all right, well, <laughs> I mean, I guess if you remember who you are now, I guess I'll be kind of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough one. Um, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up. Well, is there like, as a general sense of where this film sits in your like film, uh, sort of legacy on like a personal level, I, I maybe enjoyed this movie the least out of all the ones we've watched really? so far. Like yeah. I, the, the Russell Crowe one was on a level where I was like, this is a train wreck. Like, this yeah. is just like a disaster. <laughs> um, this one was just so boring. I couldn't believe how, it, and it was like, it's a, the length is depressing, but it is like you were talking about with Caitlin, like, I paused it. I was like, oh my God, this movie must be almost over. And I paused it. I'm like, two hours left. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. I've only been watching this for a half an hour. What's been going on? And it was that the whole way through. I just, I really didn't enjoy it. And it certainly didn't, it didn't change my opinion of Spielberg just on this movie alone. Yeah. You know, I, um, you know, as I was saying, I liked this, I liked this movie a lot when I was a kid, but I never had like the childhood nostalgic attachment to it that some people do do um and watching this that watching it this time i kept waiting for those moments to pop up where i was gonna be like oh yeah that's why i really love this movie and they didn't really ever come um uh, you know i like i said dustin hoffman's great but that's kind of objective i mean like he's gonna be good no matter that doesn't have any nostalgia attached to it yeah. So I I was I was looking for I was looking for that attachment that I might have to it that would would make me think like you know what this might be not be a great movie but I enjoy it and I it's enjoyable for me to watch and it never really came. I don't hate it. I don't think it's terrible. Yeah. Uh it's just so it's so over it's so big, it's so overblown, it's unfocused. Um there's some good stuff in it, but yeah, generally I don't think it's it's I, I don't think as uh, as my girlfriend also said, I think if this is his worst movie, it's probably a testament to how good he actually is. Yeah, because yeah. it's not. It's not. I don't think it's a train wreck. No, it's um, not a train wreck. But uh, it's not. It's definitely not one of his better. Wendy, this is Wendy's house. Tools and Nips built it for. I remember. Wendy used to sit in that chair. Yes. But it wasn't there. It was here. We used to sit here while she darned socks and tell us stories. She slept here. Tink, your apartment was right here. Yes. Little Michael had his basket bed right here. John. 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 I, I mean, I was just thinking if there was. On almost every movie, even if you love it or dislike it, there's there's almost usually a scene where if you were flipping channels and you came across that scene, you'd be like, "Oh, I'll just I'll watch this scene at least." Mm-hmm. You know, this yeah. movie has no scene that I would be like, "Oh, oh right, this part of Hook. That's a good that's a good part of Hook. I should watch that." I, and I that's would, unfortunate. I would pick if I had to pick one of those scenes. There are there are two scenes I think I would pick. I would pick the first time Hook shows up. Uh, that whole sequence with the boo box and stuff like his 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 introduction is really good, and also the sequence when they when uh, in England when they get home from the dinner and the kids are gone, 
That, yeah, the, I, think that, I think that scene's great. Where it's that is a, the, that's a very good scene. Yeah, yeah, with the hook slash up the wall and 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 it's very uh, scary. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. And yeah. and the uh, the uh, housekeeper like the children were screaming. You know that kind of thing. That's that stuff was great. And you know, close the door and you've got the the paper and with the the the, the dagger in it. That stuff is fantastic. Like I feel like I feel like that's the scene you sell the movie with. Yeah. You know, and like uh, you, you, you talk about you talk about Peter Pan uh, or, or Peter Banning as this guy, whatever. I mean, and then you just like you just lay out that scene. It's like they come home, and then there's this thing, this slice going all the way up the thing, and the and the, the the housekeeper's freaking out, and the windows yep. are open, and the kids are gone, and you close the door, and there's the page with the dagger in it. And it says, yep. "Signed, Captain James Hook." <sighs> <laughs> Give me all the money, you know. I would, but uh, left, un- unfortunately, after that, it doesn't really hang. hang no, together, it, it left me wondering. I think it, it would be possible to do an adult version of the Peter Pan story, like yeah. a a very a dark, like I, I hate to say, just dark for darkness' sake, but like a very mature take on the subject, where Hook is actually legitimately terrifying, like he's yeah. your night nightmare kind of. And this doesn't really do it because it's a kids thing. But all throughout the film, I kept thinking about like, what if. You know, what if Robin Williams' is Peter Pan just sort of realized his, his version of adulthood here, and you see the sadness of the Lost Boys as opposed to things like that, and you see the, the terror of Captain Hook and the fear of losing your childhood and things yeah. that never happens. You know, that, that would be interesting, because I, I, I think that would go along with what I was saying about the, the, the problem with the tone, especially with the violence, because the violence is so jokey to have... But but the violence is jokey. But when they talk about it, they're like, "Yeah, we kill pirates all the time." You know, it's a very lighthearted way of talking about like killing a killing older men and older men yeah. killing you. <laughs> and so right. if yeah, if you had if you had Peter there and like he got to witness what was happening and it's like <laughs> these kids getting murdered and you know killing these pirates in these horrible ways, yeah. have him just be like, "Guys, chill out." Maybe we just. <laughs> Let's just take a step back. I mean, I don't know who... If this movie, I don't know who it's for. I don't know what movie this one we're talking about now is for. Yes. Yeah. Um, He's got a hook for a hand. He's got a hook for a hand. Yeah. Peter Pan's an interesting interesting thing because, like, every now and then they try to do it again. Like, there was a movie actually with Jason Isaacs playing Captain Hook that came out uh, about nine years ago or so, or maybe eight years ago. Finding Neverland. Is that that one? No, that's the one with Johnny Depp where he plays J.M. Barry. Oh, okay. Um, this one, it's just called Peter Pan and it came out, I think in 2011 huh. and I've always wanted to check it out cause it looked like it had a little bit more of an edge to it. Um, because yeah, there, that's the, that's the disconnect with, with, with Peter Pan is, is it all just playing pirates and superheroes or is there actual life and death stakes involved? Yeah. And you kind of have to sort that out a little bit before you even start telling the story, unfortunately. Yes, yeah, and I think that those lead to two very separate movies. Like that, there's yeah, a oh, definitely, yeah. Like, and I, I think this movie gets a little bit confused of that. Like, yeah. it, it mixes them in a way that's not satisfying for either of them. Uh, let's see here. Well, I think we're done. It's been last about an thing, hour. Last yeah, thing I wanted to mention: Did you notice? I just caught this as I glanced at the credits. One of the executive producers is Dodi Fayed. Yes, he sold his stake in it or something like that. Uh, so Dodi Fayed is Diana's. Uh, lover, Princess Diana's lover. Yeah, I didn't know. Was he a movie guy? I uh, the yep. only time I've ever heard his name is in is in connection to Princess Diana. 
Yes, I think he was. He, I think he came from a wealthy family, and you know, as wealthy people are able to do, dabbled in film financing. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, it's like, let's, let's all fondly remember Dodie Fayette. Yeah, I'll keep, I'll keep, I'll keep any off-color jokes to myself. I guess. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. You can check out all the social media links. They'll be in the video description of the podcast blurb. Uh, we'll be back with ET which will be the next, the positive end. It's at like 97%. This is at 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. I want, I want you guys to know, I have a grudge with E.T. going into it. So unless, <laughs> I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to having my mind changed, but if this does not change my movie, I'm coming in hot. I'm tearing E.T. apart. I'm sure season two of E.T. is going to be better than the first season. <laughs> there, were, there were production mistakes behind the scenes in E.T. With Jason, if Jason Isaacs comes back for a second season of et then everything will be okay uh, guys thank you very much for supporting the show patreon.com slash the penske file if you want to support the show there you get extra content otherwise you can rate us on itunes real ripe and real rotten if you could do that i'd greatly appreciate it captain level patrons vincent adultman stephen cobb neil brennan holly mclaughlin carrie mobility doug valcamp michael pond bradley killens rune venler jay stanley mike burnett matthew ross magpine s productions ben douglas kyle barrett joint mango Tarek latif Thank you very much, guys. You support the show. You make it all possible. And you patrons are the people that choose what we talk about. Uh, I'll be making a reconfiguration to the Patreon to make it so that the top tier uh, captain level patrons will actually be more instrumental in picking the topics. That'll be, you can go to Patreon to check that out. And that's about it. So we'll be back with E.T. Steven Spielberg. Do we have any uh, non sequiturs? I didn't really plan for this, Clay. I don't know if you have anything uh, to go out with. Um, uh, no, I mean, I, can't, the, I I noticed a few people tweeting at me that they bought copies of Redline. So thank you very much, guys. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, don't show it to your kids. The, <laughs> yeah, you guys can check out uh, Redline, which Clay has been pitching for the past couple episodes. You can buy it on uh, people said they couldn't find it in Amazon or uh, in UK bookstores, so I sent them the Amazon.co UK link, which should be the same thing. Yeah, I, um, think, I think it should be available there now. It's it was a little bit. De- it's the the direct comics market and the bookstore market. I think was a little bit delayed for whatever reason. So I think it is available on Amazon and stuff. Interesting. And I I guess my non sequitur would be that I am stuck in the weird place. I found cheap Blu-rays.com or whatever, and it gives me all these daily deals, and I. Every day is a battle for me being like, why don't I just buy the $5 Blu-ray instead of paying the $7 or $10 that I pay on Amazon to get things? And then, you know, then you're just like, no, we're living in the future. There's no reason to have this physical DVD. I'm just going to have to get rid of them at some point when I move. And I, I feel very conflicted. I like having the tactile stuff, but there's no advantage to it. And every day is a battle not to spend $5 on some garbage Blu-ray DVD. I feel the same way. I, um, well, I feel the same way with an asterisk where I, I definitely understand that push to more streaming or more digital media, but I do just, I really like, I really like physical media. I mean, it yeah. always, it always looks better. Um, well, I mean, now it's more, more or less the same, but it's like, they, they tend to look good. Uh, and I love the special features and behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. And you don't, that's, I think that's the biggest casualty from moving everything to streaming is that people just don't do that stuff anymore. No. Um, you know, and I, I don't buy, I used to buy DVDs all the time. Like I, I would go to the store and whatever was in the cheap section, even if I had a passing interest in it, I would get it. Yep. Um, never watch them. You just have the DVD and never end up watching it. And be yeah, like, this I, is I never now. quite went that far. I always bought everything I watched. Sorry, flip that. Um, 
but I there were there were a few times where like I do I do own a copy of Blade Trinity only because I had never seen it and it was for like three dollars so I bought it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now now I, I I still like to buy stuff. I like to buy stuff that I like to that I actively want to support and yep. um, kind of really stood out to me. Like I just got a copy of um, uh the Criterion Collection Blu-ray of Night of the Living Dead, which yeah. yeah. There's been so many shitty versions of that movie across every platform for so long that it finally got an amazing, amazing version that's like everything you could possibly want about that movie in one place. And so I was like, well, that's one that I have to get. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah mine would be the the Star Trek stuff. I have all the DVDs for yeah. and everything like that. But my my invention would just be I buy all this stuff on Amazon, right? Amazon should sell me a basically a digital movie shelf, which would be like a little iPad-y looking thing that I can mm-hmm. put up and you can like flip through all the stuff that you've got on there. You know, like, so if people want to come over and like people used to look at your DVD collection. Oh yeah. I would have like a little digital photo frame that they could do the same thing for. And like, I see. And I could be able to go like, oh, I wonder what I've got that I haven't seen in a while and like flip through and be like, oh, I'll throw that on right now. Because the problem with digital is that you don't get a sense of the library. So you yeah. can't, you can't look at it and feel satisfied that you found something. It's more a struggle to find something in your digital library. Yeah, and I don't I don't know how to judge people anymore because I used to judge right. people exclusively on the shitty DVDs they owned. Yes. So that's why like, that's why my my collection was such a pride of 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 myself because it's like you could look at my DVD collection and tell that I had really good taste. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I had a friend who used to buy a ton of CDs and he would alphabetize them. So a lot of his weekly process was reorganizing the shelves because he would buy more yep. and he'd have to reorganize them and everything yep. and it was always very impressive to go over and look at an alphabetized I'll cd you, collection my dvd collection is i have two separate i have two separate shelves one is alphabet alphabetized by genre but then there's another section that is alphabetized by director and if i have three or more movies by one director it goes into the director there you go <laughs> Guys, that's been it. Thank you for listening to our talk about Hook. We'll be back with a talk about E.T. Until next time.